Thanks very much, Rob. And uh, be, become, it will become clear why we've um, got that different translation, the revised standard version rather than the NIV um, as we go through. Um, let's pray. To Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, we thank you for your spirit who helps us to understand it and apply it to our lives. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be our teacher and our guide today. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, what is money? What is money? I've got here a $50 billion banknote. What is it? Well, we could say that money is power. Money enables me to get stuff that I want. We could say that money is promise, like it says on the banknote. Even this banknote, I promise to pay the bearer. And we could say that money is uh, privilege, that we receive money from others, we have a responsibility how to use it. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine about this passage this week, and he put it like this. He said, money is a declaration of trust. Whether you deposit it, deposit it in the bank, pay with cash or contactless, uh, whether you take out a mortgage or pay into a pension, uh, whether you give it away or lend it to a friend or invest in stocks and shares or hide it under your mattress, every financial transaction is a declaration of trust, a moment when you put your faith in someone or something else. And so money is a highly spiritual matter. Jesus knew that better than anyone else. In fact, money was the issue that he spoke about more than any other issue, especially in Luke's gospel. It is there all the way through. Money, money, money. And in this passage, money, pound signs, dollar signs are kind of flashing out of the page in kind of bright neon lights. What should a Christian's attitude be towards money? Now, that might feel like quite an awkward subject to think about just three weeks before Christmas. Uh, when we're spending money on presents and all sorts of other stuff. But actually, I wonder if it is a great time to think about money. Because there is nothing quite like a budgetary squeeze to make you think about what really matters. Jesus, in this passage, speaks a bit like a financial advisor telling his clients that they are in danger of using the wrong kind of accounting software. That they are in danger of working to the wrong priorities. And he says you need a radical new approach for the good of your present returns and the, and the good of your future savings. His teaching is immensely challenging, very practical and very spiritual. And I think it is supposed to make us feel uncomfortable, whether we've been Christians a long time or a short time. But it is here for our good and for our joy. And Jesus' teaching also provides an extraordinary insight into the Christian faith, for anyone here this morning who's still thinking about the Christian faith, still looking in from the outside, it shows us that, that being a Christian is both profoundly otherworldly and intensely thisworldly at the same time. And it shows us that Jesus commands us to trust him more than anything else, even more than money. There are two broad lessons to learn from the passage. The first comes from this rather strange and surprising story about a dishonest servant. And the second is um, from Jesus' application, expansion of that story. So first of all, first lesson, use your money to invest in eternity. Use your money to invest in eternity. 
uh, following the um, RSV version. Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a steward, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. So there are two main characters in the story. The first one is the rich man. It looks as if he represents God. The second is the steward. He is the rich man's household manager. If you ever watch Downton Abbey, um, he is Carson. Here's Carson on the screen. Um, he is the Carson character. There we are. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. He has a lot of authority over his master's affairs. He, he seems to represent us. He is people, a person entrusted with wealth, with authority to use it, to take care of it. But he's in trouble. Word reaches the rich man that this servant, this steward, has been less than reliable. He's called into the office. He's told to open the books. He's about to get his marching orders. What is he going to do? The steward said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that people may receive me into their houses when I am put out of the stewardship. He thinks, I'm, I'm not going to dig. Manual labor is beneath me. He thinks, I'm... I'm I'm not going to be the laughingstock of the town and, and be a beggar. He says, it's time to invest in the future. I'm going to secure future business prospects with my current business associates. So, verse 5, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. I said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. These are, two, these are big debts. So um, one estimate suggests, uh, the first is, is the yield of 150 olive trees. Uh, the other is uh, the yield of 100 acres of grain. And he says, right, let's write off 50% of the first debt and 20% of the second debt. And presumably he goes around all his master's debtors and does something similar, writing off debts or adjusting debts. We don't know exactly how he did this. Maybe he, um, he lowered the interest rate or removed interest from the debt. Maybe he uh, forfeited his cut, his commission. Maybe he simply just lowered the price. doesn't really matter how he did it because he had the authority to do it. Do you remember who he is? He's the Carson character. He has authority to invest and to charge and to deal with his master's affairs as he sees fit. That's his job. Now, up to now, he's done a very bad job for his master. But he knows very well how to do a good job for himself. Which I think is why the next scene ought to take us by surprise. First, verse, uh, first part of verse 8. The master commended the dishonest steward for his shrewdness. Now, we read that and we think that must be a typo. Surely it ought to say the master condemned the dishonest steward for his shrewdness. Because he just seems interested in his own financial security. He seems pretty dodgy. But Jesus literally says the master praised his servant. What does he praise him for? Not for wasting his possessions, but for the way he shrewdly looked after himself. It's a little bit like this. You can imagine him saying, you sneaky so-and-so. I can't believe 
I didn't think of that myself. You snake. You crafty wheeler dealer. Now get out of here and go make millions because you've set yourself up for life. Those, that's the kind of commendation that he gives. Well, what does that surprising story mean? Jesus, first of all, gives us an explanation of that twist in the tail. That's the second half of verse 8. And then he applies it to his disciples' lives, verse 9. So first of all, second half of verse 8. Uh, Let's read from the beginning. The master commended the dishonest steward for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. People who don't know God, the sons of this world, are better at dealing with money, Jesus says, than the sons of light, than people who do know God. They know how to deal and invest and secure their future prospects. Just get on a train tomorrow morning and go up to the city of London and you will see that in action. Jesus' disciples could see it all around them too. The master commended his steward for that kind of worldly wisdom. That's the shock in the story. Jesus' application of it is even more shocking. Verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous mammon, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal habitations. Now, we expect Jesus to say exactly the opposite. Don't go and be like that worldly, dishonest steward. Don't be like that. Jesus says, go and do the same thing. Why? Well, the steward used money to make friends for himself for his immediate future. And Jesus' disciples need to use mammon from this translation. That's the literal word. It's an Aramaic word, not a Greek word. Use mammon to make friends for yourself for your eternal future. So um, I wanted to use that translation because the NIV, if if you were to open your Bible, would say worldly wealth. But Jesus very deliberately used that word mammon. Mammon, some sort of pagan god associated and personified by money. So to go back to the beginning of the story, who is the rich man? Well, I said at the beginning, he seems to be God. I think he's not capital G God. He's lowercase g God. He's mammon. Jesus says to your disciples, deal shrewdly with mammon, with the false god of mammon, like the steward dealt shrewdly with his master. In other words, it's our lesson, use your money to invest in eternity. Because it may look like mammon is worth trusting. Just think how spiritual all our money words are. Savings, securities, debts, futures, we could, go for, we could go on. It looks like mammon is worth trusting. But when you arrive at heaven's gates, mammon will not give you eternal security. Mammon will not forgive your debt. Mammon will not save you. Mammon will not give you a future. Only our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, can give us and deliver any of those things. And so Jesus says to us, deal shrewdly with mammon now so that you can help others 
to meet the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour too. Do you remember last week, chapter 15, it was all about God's mission to save lost people, personified, represented by a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And now Jesus says in this chapter, Luke doesn't put these chapters together at random. He says, how are you going to go and find lost people? By using your money to make friends for eternity. What does that mean? What does it mean to deal shrewdly with mammon for a Christian? It means to give your money away generously. Not just the good causes in general, although Christians we can give money to whatever we like, but specifically to other causes that enable people to hear about the Savior, Jesus Christ. That is how we make friends who will welcome us into eternity one day when it's our turn to go there. We don't hoard our money. We don't spend it selfishly or we don't trust it instead of God. We rely on our Father in heaven who gives us everything generously and then we give it away generously, investing in eternity. We're going to think more about that in quite a lot more detail in January when we're going to do three weeks on the whole subject of Christian giving. It's quite a long time since we've done that. And the elders and I thought it would be a good thing to do. But for now, I just want us to see that big principle. We need, as Christian disciples, to have a radically otherworldly approach to money. Use your money to invest in eternity. Don't just spend it on this life. Spend it on the life to come. And that requires shrewdness, wisdom, like it did for the steward. But even more than that, it requires a change inside our hearts. This is the second lesson. Serve God with your money for the sake of your heart. Serve God with your money for the sake of your heart. Verse 10, he who is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And he who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Now, if someone lends you 10 pounds and you give it back to them, the chances are, well, the chances are higher that they might lend you 100 pounds next time. If a fund manager in the city makes his client's money grow and grow and grow, the chances are that his client might give him more money next time. But if it just crashes, it's unlikely to be trusted. It's the same with spiritual accounting. Verse 11, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will entrust, you, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is your own, who will give you that which, sorry, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? God entrusts to each one of us different amounts of money. Whatever money we've got today, God gave it to us. He entrusted it to us. And it is very possible to use that in a worldly way, regardless of whether we've got a little or a lot whether we are millionaires or on, a, on the kind of above or below average salary, whether we're on a student loan, whether we're on benefits. If we live in this country at this time in history, which we all do, we are almost certainly amongst the 1% richest people ever to live. Jesus promises that using our gifts faithfully now will be repaid in the future. Uh, Paul used similar imagery in 2 Corinthians 9. Again, we'll come back to this next month. should be there um, on the screen. He says, He who supplies seed to the sower 
and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So, so generous Christian giving, is a, it's a violent spiritual battle. On the, in the one corner, there's mammon. And mammon is saying to us, trust me, I'll save you. Don't be foolish and invest your money in eternity. No, use it now. Hoard it now. Use it on yourself now. Okay, if you need to give a little bit away to soothe your guilt, then, then go by means, do that. But don't give in a risky, wholehearted, generous way. That's what Mammon is saying. He's in one corner. And the other corner, there's, there's our Heavenly Father. And, and he is giving us, not, he's giving us his word, his reliable word, like he does there in 2 Corinthians 9. And he says, I'm going to supply you with what you need. And I'm going to give you enough so that you can give it away. And I'm going to give you money so that your money, your giving, can be part of your worship to, go, to me so that it will advance my kingdom. And, and the battle is, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to mammon or am I going to listen to my heavenly father? It's a choice we all face, verse 13 of our passage. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I don't know if you heard this story this week. I heard a story about a fraud squad investigating council workers who apparently were moonlighting. So working from home, it's a funny picture here on the screen. Um, there we are, council workers found working second job. So moonlighting, getting paid full-time for the council while sitting at home and working a different job as well. And um, it's as if Jesus says here, Christians must not commit the same spiritual equivalent. Don't moonlight on God. Don't pretend you're serving God when actually you're serving mammon. Serve one or the other. Serve God with your money for the sake of your heart. As we've already learned, serving God with money means giving it away generously. And I, think, I do think the first way we do that as Christians is by giving to our local church, first of all, because that is where God has put us together to serve him. This is the family of believers that he has put us into. Now, the local church, as we do, may decide to give some of that money away to other causes, like to mission partners. And we are free to, ex to give to other partners as well, but the first place, I think, is the local church. That is where we give, either individually or as a couple. Not what is left over at the end of the month, but a generous amount that demonstrates that we serve God. There's information, if you're not yet involved in that, on the website, how to do that. And also, just at the back of church, we have these little giving cards. If you'd like to find out more about giving to the church, these are just on the, the, car, on the, on the side at the back above the radio to do, pick that up and have a look. And we're going to think much more about this, as I said, in January. But if you haven't yet started giving to the church, why not put that on your Christmas to-do list? It might feel the worst time of year to do it. Actually, it's a really good time of year. Um, you might not be able to do it in detail. That's okay. Just get started. Like Jesus says to, uh, in the story, or like the steward says, he says, sit down quickly and write. This is urgent. He's saying to the, the steward, and it's urgent for us too. Well, giving is the way we demonstrate our trust in God, not mammon. And if we don't want to get involved in that, or if we're, 
or that Jesus finishes the story. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that if we don't want to get involved in that. But for all of us, whether we're giving or not giving, Jesus finishes with a warning. Verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they scoffed at him. Do you remember the last time we met them, beginning of chapter 15, they're muttering, muttering about Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And they are no more impressed now. They are there turning their noses up at him. They're thinking, your teaching about money, Jesus, seems utterly farcical and ridiculous. Okay, give some away for religious duty, but, but invest in eternity and, and serve God with your money? They say, don't be so silly, Jesus. He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted above among men is an abomination in the sight of God. See, the, the Pharisees, they thought they were spiritually healthy. Jesus says to them, your hearts stink. You're trusting God, you're trusting mammon for your savings, your securities, your debts, and your future. Well, what about, what about us? How spiritually healthy are our hearts as individuals and as a church? Tip, I'm just going to use the lectern, if that's all right. If you just put that one on. Thanks. Mammon is not some ancient idol known only to Jesus' listeners. He's a powerful and dangerous master today as well. And so if we find ourselves looking down our noses at Jesus teaching about money and thinking, Jesus, it's a bit farcical, it's a bit far-fetched, it's a bit extreme, the chances are we may be a little bit too close to the Pharisees for comfort. Serve God with your money for the good of your heart. Money's always an awkward subject, isn't it? Um, but one day money will fail. Jesus says in the story, use... Um, Verse, uh, where Verse 9, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous mammon so that when it fails, money fails, 50 billion Zimbabwean dollars is absolutely worthless. And ultimately our money will fail when we die and go to heaven, when we die in the end of our lives. But money could fail in this life as well. It could all go in a moment. Even our supposedly secure Western currencies are not as secure as they look. The way we use our money affects our future. It affects our present. It shapes our relationship with God now. It, it shapes our welcome into heaven in the future. If you're not yet a Christian here this morning, that's just as true for you as it is for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Who will we serve? Mammon or God? Serve God with your money for the sake of your heart. How do you do that? Use your money to invest in eternity. Shove our heads. And have a moment of quiet just to pray for ourselves. And then I'll lead us in a prayer.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus speaking to us so clearly about things that matter so much. And we pray that you would give us humble hearts as we listen to him. Help each of us to examine our hearts. Help us not to serve mammon, but to serve you, to have our hearts on eternity. And pray, Lord, that you would be changing us to serve you wholeheartedly and generously in this whole area of money as individuals and as a church. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.